Jordan Spieth in a thriller at Hilton Head back in the winner's circle. Eamon Lynch and Jaime Diaz on what conclusions we can draw from the victory. Also, why Morgan Hoffman may have been, if not the biggest winner of the week, and certainly the most inspirational. And Moss do about nothing? Dylan Fratelli in an unusual rule snafu that has some people up in arms and up a tree. It's all coming up on Golf Today. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. And hello again and welcome. Rich Lerner, pleased to be alongside the best columnist in our game from Golf Week, Eamon Lynch. And as well, Jaime Diaz will be along in just a bit. And Paige McKenzie, too. Uh, Eamon, Jordan Spieth, he can still be what we all thought he was going to be when he won two majors the age of 21 in 2015. He can still be a legend of the game. Not a 40-win legend. I don't think he gets there. But 25 wins with a half dozen majors and the career grand slam, I think he can do it in spite of some of the shortcomings. The reason I say it is because he has every intangible that you see in every great sports movie. Whatever it takes in sports, whatever that it factor is, Jordan Spieth still has it. I don't think there's anyone in this game, Rich, for whom intangibles actually mean more than for Jordan Spieth. I mean, the stats only tell you so much of the story in golf. Stats can tell you on paper how Jordan Spieth wins. They don't tell you why Jordan Spieth wins. And he may not get to those 40 wins. The 13 he's already had have been more compelling uh, as pure theatre than many 40-win careers have been. Amen. I'm still hearing the question. Is this sustainable? Holding out a bunker shot as he did on the front side on that par five for Eagle. Doing all of, of those things that Jordan Spieth has done for years. Is it sustainable? And I, I say it is because this is who he has always been. This is 13 wins at the age of, of 28. Uh, not by accident. Uh, he, he does what Tiger used to do, what Seve used to do. Count him out, he knocks it in. Terrible drive, nice birdie. Misses a bunny, makes a bomb. That's just who the guy is. He really is. To me, Rich, he's evocative of Arnold Palmer, not in the sense of just the popularity or the impact on the game, although he could certainly make a claim to both of those, but the, the number he posts and the number he writes on the scorecard at the end of the day is always less interesting than the journey he took that's to that point. number. Yeah. And to me, that's the intangible thing with Jordan Spieth. We saw it yesterday. There were four or five, six guys had a chance to win the RBC yesterday. One guy came away because it's the guy who figures out how to win when things are going a little bit wobbly. Under the heading, you'll watch every shot they play from their opening tee shot to the final putt on a Thursday or Friday. Who's... Who's on that list? For me, it's Jordan Spieth, Tiger when he plays. Mm -hmm. Rory, yes, Rom to a degree, but really Jordan Spieth's number one on that list. I watch him. I lean in on every single shot because he plays on a high wire. He's got to be number one on that list. I mean, the guy should be sponsored by Six Flags. He's a one-man amusement <laughs> ride. And it doesn't matter if it's thrills or terror. And the thrills from holding bunker shots to the terror of that little 18-inch missed putt on Saturday night, you're going to see it all with this guy. Um, he said he won without a putter. Uh, and, you know, strokes gain, he was just horrendous. And we know he missed a couple of short putts. Uh, but I think the really good news here, in addition to the obvious, he won a tournament, is where he was strokes gained tee to green. He, he was number one. And that has sort of been the ongoing issue 
uh, with Jordan Speed. If he can get that straightened out and appears as though he's on his way, and then he can get the putting back to where we all think it will be, then what? He, he could start winning tournaments by a lot again. I know it seems like we're getting out in front of ourselves, but don't forget, he won the Masters by four. Uh, he, he won uh, the Tournament of Champions by eight. He won the Tour Championship by four. He won the Hero by ten. He has breakaway speed if everything is working, and it, and it looks like it's verging uh, to where that may be the case at some point soon. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting watching this pre-shot routine that he's going through, which looks so awkward and so full of doubt and uncertainty, but the results bear out that he's actually hitting the ball a lot better than he has in quite some time, and he's always been a streaky putter. There's this perception that Jordan Spieth has always been a world-class putter, which I think is overstated a little bit. It's grown out of the fact that he's made so many remarkable bombs at the time over the years. He led strokes gained putting on tour twice in 2016 and in 2019, neither of which were actually his, his best years as a professional. But there are two other years where he didn't even break the top 100. So he's always had an ebb and flow to his putting. Right now, he's tied 179th on tour in putting. And, you know, he's, he's the first big breakout brand name who's won on tour in 2022. If that putter heats up, it really ought to scare the, the guys who are going to go up against him. He's 38th strokes gained off the tee. He's 31st strokes gained approach. He's better in strokes gained off the tee than he was in 2017. He was 44th, and he won three times that year, including a major championship. And speaking of the majors, we'll get into this a little bit later. This definitely, my estimation, juices uh, the next major, the PGA Championship at uh, Southern Hills in Tulsa, with Jordan having a chance to complete the career Grand Slam. And if he does that, then there is no question he is a legend of the game, and he may already be. We, we don't, but but if he becomes, you know, one of six <laughs> to have won all four, then it's uh, case closed. He's a legend for all times. That's, I would argue he's probably already in that camp with, with three majors, but there really is no debate at that point. Uh, You're talking about a very exclusive group of people. Right now, if I, I, I gave you a, a, a wager, 25 wins, a half dozen majors, and the career Grand Slam, Jordan Spieth gets those numbers. You take it? Absolutely. Jordan Spieth's only, what, 28, 29 years old? Yeah. And he does the one thing that so many of his peers with much more picture-perfect swings can't seem to do, which is he actually gets the ball in the hole ugly. Jordan Spieth has figured out how to win when the wheels are coming off. And it's remarkable how many guys just can't seem to get there. What did Randy Smith say in the aftermath of Scotty Scheffler's victory at the Masters? He said he covers his mistakes. The chip in at number three. I think Spieth has for a long time covered his mistakes. And by the way, that's back-to-back -back, uh, victories on tour for the University of Texas. Yeah, I mean, there, there a litany of things that, that Jordan Spieth does not have. He doesn't have, to your point, the art museum swing. He doesn't have the chiseled biceps. He doesn't have sledgehammer distance. But he has his guts, his heart, he has that feel. He has all those, as we said, all those intangibles. So 13 wins or more on the PGA Tour before the age of 30, going back to 1990. You recognize some of these names, Eamon? <laughs> That's a Hall of Fame roster right there. Pretty elite company. And from Justin Ray, 13 or more wins with three majors before age 29, going back to 1940. It's Byron Nelson, Jack Tiger Rory, and now Jordan Spieth. Jordan, after the win at the RBC Heritage. Yeah, it's uh, a, a bit of a surprise. I I've definitely felt like I was putting myself in the position hole-to-hole -hole this week to, to win a golf tournament, um, and I just was having a hard time early in the week adjusting to the speed differences from last week. 
and then um, the hole started to look small to me yesterday and, and then just came out today and said, I'm not going to leave one putt short. And um, and if they miss, they miss. And, and just try to be a little bit more aggressive and made just enough to, to cap it and, and win. And uh, how much did you spend thinking about yesterday on 18? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mentioned it to Michael and to Annie afterwards. I said I knew riding in to the clubhouse to sign my card, I said I knew that that, that on 18 was going to cost me. And I hoped it did in a way. Um, because if it didn't, it meant I just played a very average round today. Um, so I hoped I worked my way in contention despite. I was about as upset after the round yesterday as I can ever remember being on a, in a golf tournament. Um, there's just no excuse for those kind of brain farts as a professional. Um, to myself, but also to, my, to Michael, who's working his butt off to go out there and, and do that, that could potentially affect the outcome of the tournament is just, and I've done it a number of times on this stretch, in the last four weeks of just, so Annie told me last night, she said, you have to take five seconds now. And she never comments on my golf. And she said, you need to take five seconds if you miss a putt and you're going to tap it in before you hit your tap in. And so I try to think about that today. There's a couple times where I was just going to rake it and I was like, no, I got to take five seconds. And, um, and I'm just glad it didn't end up affecting it at all, to be honest, just made it a little more exciting at the end. You were talking about frustration level last week, after last week. What, what was the level of that frustration, and how did it manifest into this this week? It was very um, – I'd, I'd never missed cut at the Masters before and very rarely had not had you know a chance to win on the weekend. So I hated it. It was the worst feeling. Um, for uh, It was the worst feeling um, as a golfer that I can remember. Uh, I just – I, I, it's my favorite tournament in the world, and I just love contending at that event. And I was hitting it really, really well, and honestly, just didn't feel like I deserved to miss that cut. I, I, I felt like I hit shots right where I wanted to, and ended up somehow at six over. Um, what you know, wind gusts here. You know, it wasn't playing easy, but it was just I got. I felt like I got some unfortunate breaks um, on some pretty committed and nice shots. Uh, I've been hitting the ball really, really well all spring, better than I did last year, and I just haven't been scoring. Um, and so I just I put in a lot of hours on the putting green this week. And to be honest, like if it helped incrementally, it was just enough. And with a win, a nice jump in the world rankings for Jordan from 22, number 10, inside the top 10 for the first time since October 30 of last year. You heard it, more confident in his ball striking with his swing, able to win in spite of a poor putting performance. And when that heats up uh, yet again, uh, then we might see 2015 Jordan once more. As it is, he has now won twice in roughly the last year, so he's all the way out of that massive slump of uh, 2020 as you look at uh, Scotty Scheffler has a pretty comfortable lead in those official world golf rankings. It all turned uh, at uh, the waste management of the WM Phoenix Open last year. He finished fourth. Since then, seven top threes, including two wins. Let's bring in uh, Jaime Diaz. Uh, and Jaime, uh, off that win, you heard uh, Jordan in his uh, press conference. Where are you with uh, Jordan Spieth? I'm, uh, I'm buying. I'm optimistic. I really think this is the big barrier and the big battle that he's fighting and winning finally is about his ball striking and his golf swing and having confidence in that. And I thought the stats 
aren't always that significant, but these these were significant at Hilton Head because he led in tee to green uh, strokes gained, which you know that's what he's after. He's after not being the roller coaster Jordan Spieth. He wants to be the sustainable, boring golf, point to point, station to station golfer that doesn't have to rely on his putting and short game and all the magic. And when he doesn't have to rely on it, when it comes through, it becomes an edge. The way he's been having to use it has been as a survival tactic. And you know we talk about Seve Ballesteros and all the magic. I think he's a cautionary tale, frankly, because Seve unfortunately lost his ball striking quite early in his career, relatively speaking. And no matter how much magic he produced, he did not uh, win a lot of tournaments afterwards. And it, and it actually got to the point where he was really almost non-competitive. I'm not saying Jordan's going there, but go the other way. Go the way of saying, you know, I want to have a great golf swing. I want to know what that ball's going off the tee, on the green, and then let me work my magic. And I thought yesterday was a big step toward that. Jaime, you mentioned Jordan's desire to be a boring point-to-point -point golfer, <laughs> which is exactly what every other golf fan doesn't want to see <laughs> out of Jordan right now. It, to me, it was interesting yesterday how many other guys on Sunday had a chance. They had a hold of the lead. They had a chance to win this tournament. And at the end of it, he's the one who posts a number and lets others kind of slide by the hole or wobble down the stretch. Did that, does that feel like a big weapon for Jordan Spieth is, from the neck up? As, as tortured as these conversations are <laughs> with Michael Greller all the time, where you really do feel like you eavesdrop on a therapy session between the two of them, the head still seems to be a real strength of Jordan Spieth, regardless of what's gone on the last few years. Well, I agree with Rich that he has that intangible that you guys talked about, which is he's an incredible athlete, sportsman, a guy who knows how to play games, how to win games. And I think that's really always held him in good stead. However, yesterday, I just think things fell his way. He's certainly been beaten when he's played better. It just happened that it, the other guys didn't come through. I don't think it was because Jordan was on the board. I think they just, you know, unfortunately maybe succumb to the pressure of winning a champion a tournament and that happens all the time on the PGA Tour usually not on the same scale with three or four guys at one time but you know Jordan did what he had to do and the biggest thing to me along with the great ball striking was he made that great putt on 18 it was only a 10 footer but he knew it was for birdie to even have a chance to get in the playoff he drilled it in there like he used to I think that's going to be a big turning point mentally for him now to get away from these doldrums in, in putting, which to me are really more the result of having worked on his golf swing and ball striking for so long that it eroded finally, you know, the things that come so naturally. He's had, he's had putting slumps before, you're right, uh, but this one doesn't feel like it's some kind of mental problem based on all the stress of not playing well. It's just from neglect, and I think he worked hard on his putting. Uh, going into this tournament, and he didn't putt his best. He's 51st in the field, but he made that big putt, and I thought those two eagles spoke a lot. One of them was Sandshot, obviously, but that was a great eagle putt he made. I just feel like Jordan is very close to being back, closer than he was after winning the Valero. I agree with you, Jaime. Thanks. I just want to say something to you about uh, Michael Greller. He does not have the caddy profile of Bones or even more recently Ted Scott, but I don't think he gets enough credit. Former school teacher, I think he sort of provides a foundation for Jordan it's going to sound strange, to be able to fail. Like, it's okay to get a D in Greller's math class, right? He sees potential in that student. Greller knows how to be there for a struggling student. And Jordan, we know, has struggled. And Greller himself is a little more seasoned these days, uh, a little more heft, a little more uh, salt and pepper in that beard. Um, I think Greller's been great for Jordan Speed. Yes, and there are very few caddies on tour where you could r seriously make an argument that they help players win. And it's a very small group of people. Obviously, Bones 
is one of those guys out there. But Michael Greller is certainly one of them as well. And he understands that the caddy role comes in two parts. And we've seen a lot of it over the last couple of weeks. It's both sounding board and punch bag. And you can't let either one of them particularly impact you with the highs and lows of a round of golf. And Greller's, you know, he's been on the receiving end of some kind of whiny statements on occasion by Spieth on the golf course. Doesn't let it affect him, goes out there, does his job. They seem a really strong combination. All right. Uh, we'll have more on Jordan uh, a little bit later because you can't uh, get enough of Jordan Spieth these days. Coming up, we'll take a look at some of the other names in the field who didn't get the job done on Hilton Head. Um, it is our Monday segment. Winners who didn't win. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. And Win Grips, the best grips in golf. And Bushnell Golf and the New Wingman, crank up your game. And by introducing the Cobra King Forge Tech Irons, a better player's iron. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. It is time now for winners who didn't win. Where are you going, Eamon? I'm going with a guy who not only didn't win, but he didn't even actually make the cut, which is Morgan Hoffman. And Morgan, as everyone knows, he's been suffering from muscular dystrophy now for since 2017. Yeah. He announced that he hasn't played anywhere on tour since October of 2019. And this was his first start back. He has three starts on a medical exemption. He needs to make enough FedEx Cup points to kind of regain some kind of status. And the odds are kind of stacked against him. He bogeyed the ninth hole on Friday. That was his 18th of the day to miss the cut by one. But just a remarkable testament to his determination uh, and the courage with which he's faced the circumstances he's in. And you'd really like to think, even if he can't get enough FedEx Cup points, he would need to finish you know, yeah. second or third in a tournament to do that in the next two starts. But let's hope some sponsor steps up and invites him to, to take you know, uh, a spot in their field. Coming out of Oklahoma State, he was one of those young prospects with so much talent and promise. Uh, 
Where did he go to seek alternative treatments, sort of a holistic approach? He's, he has been living for the last couple of years down in, in the jungles of Costa Rica. And this is his first start, obviously, in, in two and a half years. It's, it's very difficult to imagine that he can find enough competitive form to, to actually do the damage he needs to do in, in just three starts to keep some kind of standing on tour. It's, the odds are really stacked against him, but those aren't exactly the most difficult odds he's facing in life right now, and he's certainly yeah. approached the others with a right. certain degree of courage. And he said last week that he's playing for the love of the game, the love of this journey, and you could understand that given what he's been through, the level of gratitude that he has to just be playing professional golf, to be healthy and strong enough to do what, what he's doing. Um, it is a wonderful story. Um, I, I give you a guy who, who I think probably feels like he won would be uh, the Australian Cam Davis. Uh, since his victory at the Rocket Mortgage last summer uh, in Detroit, he hadn't played all that well, has he? No, he's made 18 starts since then, missed the cut in a third of them. His tie for 10th at Kapalua, the Century Tournament of Champions, was the only top 10 finish Cam has had since then. So shooting that 63, posting a number early, that ended up being good enough for a tie for a third. That's the kind of thing that will give him confidence as he kind of heads into the meat of the season now. But it definitely cleared the cobwebs off a pretty dry yeah. run since last July. And, and if he can you know, continue to play some good golf, it gives uh, Trevor Immelman, who's the captain of the International President's Cup team, another young guy that he might look at in what I think is going to be potentially a bit more competitive uh, though it is on American soil, the United States off that Ryder Cup looks like a juggernaut, potentially more competitive than people might think. I think the internationals with, with Joaquin Neiman and Abraham Anser and Hideki Matsuyama, just to name a few, uh, could be, uh, could be a, a team to be dealt with. Well, at the rate the Texans are winning on the PGA Tour, if you're Trevor Immelman right now, you've got to start <laughs> looking for bright spots wherever you can find them. Cam Davis is this, his bright spot this week. That's a fair point. Stay with us. Uh, a report from the PGA Professional Championship in Texas. And we'll hear from that man right there, one of the most distinguished professionals in the game, the quintessential pro, in fact. That is Bob Ford. He'll join us on Golf Today when we come back. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people.
guaranteed. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. This week marks the 54th PGA Professional Championship Tournament first played in 1968 in Scottsdale, Arizona, providing additional playing opportunities for PGA professionals. This year's event began on Sunday at Omni Barton Creek in Austin, Texas. Big field, 312 players vying for the Walter Hagen Cup and 20 spots in the 2022 PGA Championship at Southern Hills Country Club in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Nice first prize, $60,000 and exemptions uh, into, count them, six PGA Tour events. Here's the pro's pro, Bob Ford. You can't find two more prestigious, two better clubs than Oakmont and Seminole. He's a Hall of Fame inductee, and he received the USGA's highest honor, the Bob Jones Award in 2017, having competed in 10 PGA Championships and three U.S. Opens, including uh, at uh, his former home club in Pittsburgh, Oakmont Country Club. And we're pleased to be joined now by Bob Ford. He's on the call with George Savarikas. And, Bob, great to see you. Uh, what are the good storylines as we get set for round number two? Well, I can't tell you how appreciative these guys are of, uh, of you guys covering this channel, uh, covering this event. And, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity. I I'm so impressed with how great these guys play today. It's just amazing how many great players there are. I mean, everybody in the field is a obviously a good player just to qualify for this event. And, uh, you know, they're excited. Obviously, all the carrots that you suggest at the end of the rainbow here is, uh, you know, these guys are excited and uh, representing their clubs and their sections in the PGA of America. And uh, it's just a great week for these guys. Bob, back in December, the board of directors of the PGA of America closed the lifetime member loophole to get into this tournament, which was colloquially known as the Omar Uresti rule. Omar won this tournament twice on three other occasions used it to qualify for the PGA Championship. And he was a guy who had a very successful and extensive career on the PGA Tour. Now the, the criteria is kind of more directed towards club professionals. Do you think that was a good rule change or is it a popular rule change? Well, it wasn't very popular with Omar, I wouldn't suspect. But, uh, you know, the rest of the field's probably happy that he's not in there. But he, he's a wonderful guy. He's been a wonderful champion. And, uh, you know, I, I really hope he gets out there on the senior tour. He's a great player. This event definitely matters, though, to the, to the rest of the guys in the field, the other 311, because while they may have jobs at member clubs, Bob, the, the idea of competition still really matters to these guys, right? Yeah, well, they do. I mean, this is really our major championship. And uh, this is what we all peak for. It's what, what we all look forward to. It's our dream to playing the national PGA professional championship and, and hopefully qualify for the PGA and have a Walter Mitty week at a PGA championship. Bob, as you well know, it's a great job to be a PGA professional, but it is not without significant challenges, demanding members and an expectation that as a professional, you should be able to crack par once in a while, in addition to giving lessons and running the shop. How much pressure are PGA professionals under and what is your advice as to how to handle it all? Well, you know, pressure is something you put on yourself, I think, Rich. You know, I think uh, you don't have to be a great player to be a great golf professional. And we have so many avenues of uh, choice of being a golf professional today. You can be a sales representative, you can be a superintendent, you can be a general manager, 
It can be about anything, but you get your start in the game through the PGA of America. And, uh, you know, so I don't, I don't think there's a lot of pressure for guys to play well. I think it's a carrot on top to be able to play well, but it's not the defining uh, feature of, of your job. Speaking of playing well, Bob, you're the last host pro who actually made the cut in a U.S. Open. You did that back at Oakmont in 1983. How likely are we to ever see something like that again where the pro at the host venue makes the cut in a major championship? Well, I wouldn't say it's very likely. It's been a lot of years since it happened, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. Obviously, just to get through the qualifying process is hard, so start with that and all the responsibilities that, that we have today, which are many more than they were in 83, uh, you know, I would say it's not very likely. Bob, how are you enjoying uh, commentating? Rich, I, I wish I was as good as you guys. It's, uh, <laughs> I've got about an 18 handicap in that booth, but George Savarikas is a superstar. And yeah. The team in there with Tripp and, and all the guys, uh, they're, they're really great professionals, and it's just a thrill for me to be able to work with them. It's uh, great to have you on the team, Bob, and we'll see you uh, down the road, no doubt. Uh, Tulsa for uh, the PGA Championship, and then we hope, I think, at, uh, at the Country Club at Brookline for the U.S. Open. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bob Ford. Well, coming up, Hyojo Kim won the Lotte Championship at the weekend for her fifth career LPGA title. After the break, Bethann Nichols joins the show to talk about who else might be ready for a star turn as the LPGA Tour heads to Hollywood. We say good afternoon to Beth Ann Nichols. She's the senior writer for Golf Week magazine. Uh, Beth Ann, thanks for joining us. To, to what extent do you think Hyoju Kim is capable of pushing uh, the likes of Jin Young Ko and ultimately a healthy Nelly Korda at the top of the game? It almost feels like this is the great second act for Hyoju Kim. You know, I mean, when you look back at what she did as a 19-year-old, shooting the lowest round ever in a major championship of 61 and going on to win the Evian. And then, you know, there was this five-year drought where she didn't win at all. And then and then the co great COVID reset for her. She, she spent 2020 in South Korea. She worked on her, her physical strength. She got longer. She won twice on the KLPGA. She didn't come over to the LPGA at all and just kind of reinvented herself, got her confidence back, came back, won in Singapore. And now it seems like this is the player that maybe we thought we, we were going to see all along. So, you know, I, I'm excited to see what Hyoju can do. I loved her little her little attempt at the hula there. I give her an A for effort because she she's really funny. She's shy about speaking English on camera, but she's actually really funny and has a wonderful personality and I, and I hope we all get to know Hyoju a little bit more in the coming year because I really think she's going to find the winner's circle. You know, I, I loved what she said, at, more, I should say. I loved what she said after she, she bogeyed the, the 71st hole. And was she nervous going into that last hole? She had that difficult pitch. No, she was irritated that she, <laughs> she had made bogey on a previous hole and, and, and was just super confident. She's the number one scrambler on the LPGA last year and this year, so look for more. <laughs> Beth Ann, Rich just mentioned Nelly Corda. Do we have any updates on Nelly Corda's current health or when we're likely to see her on tour again? You know, Eamon, I, I wish I did have something for you. Unfortunately, I, I've reached out, but all I know is what we've seen on Instagram from Nellie that she recently underwent surgery and, and, and she's recovering and rehabbing and hopefully we'll be out practicing soon. So 
like everyone else, I'm paying attention to our social media to see when we'll see her on the range again. But obviously, we wish her the best. What did you make of Brianna Doe this week in Hawaii? She, she Monday qualified and she was 502nd in the world rankings <laughs> last week. And she just narrowly missed out on a top 10. She had to be one of the great stories at the Lotte Championship. You know, I thoroughly love this tournament within a tournament with Brianna. She's she's 32. I love the fact that there's this this other story here of it's it's hard. It takes a long time sometimes to make it on the LPGA. And Brianna Doe is a former USGA champion. She won the Pub Links over 10 years ago. She played for UCLA. She was an All-American. And and she's still trying to make it through. And and this would have been a top 10 to get into going back home to LA this week and playing automatically. And instead she finishes one shot out in, in the top 12. And so we'll have to go through Monday qualifying again today to be able to play Wilshire Country Club this week. And I'm excited to see what, what she does with, with the momentum. Obviously it was a tough Sunday for her, but so many people were rooting for her to, to, to break through and have this top 10. And I gotta believe that she still leaves with a lot of confidence. And she did post on Instagram that she couldn't wait to go back to Hawaii next year. So a lot of good vibes. 16-year-old Anna Davis off her win at the Augusta National Women's Amateur. He is attempting to Monday qualify for the LPGA event this week in Los Angeles. What, if she's made them known, are her plans for college and, and what's her upside in the game? Well, I can't tell you her plans for college, but I can tell you her plans for the next week. <laughs> She's going to make her LPGA debut. If she doesn't Monday qualify today for Wilshire, she will play in Palos Verdes. That will be her very first LPGA start uh, at the new LPGA event. There's back-to-back -back weeks in L.A. for the first time on the LPGA. And, and Anna Davis will step onto another huge stage. So she has the world is her oyster right now. I mean, <laughs> It'll be really interesting to see where she ends up going to play college golf. I fully anticipate that she will play college golf. Uh, she's only a sophomore, and I think all of the success, you know, certainly caught her off guard from what we could tell at Augusta National. But, you know, kudos for her for, for giving it a whirl, jumping it, you know, not into another junior event, but but onto the grand stage of the LPGA. So hopefully she'll be, she'll be vying. There are two spots available for Monday qualifying today. So wouldn't it be something if it happened to be Anna Davis and Brianna Doe? So certainly a, a, an unusually interesting Monday qualifier today. But if we don't see her this week, we will see her next week. Well, Jin Young-Ko is somebody we will see this week, Beth Ann. She's coming off a, a shockingly poor performance by her standards at the Chevron, a tie for 53rd. She's actually played two tournaments in a row that she didn't win, which is shocking by the standards <laughs> she set this season. What are you expecting from her this week? <laughs> you know, when I, when I think back to the Chevron and, and kind of what went down, where we thought she actually might miss the cut, horrors. <laughs> she, she talked about how tired she was, how many hours of sleep she, she was needing every night. And she said, you know, maybe I don't need to play in a tournament right before a major championship. It was like a light bulb was going off as, as we were talking after the round. And so, you know, I, I think we'll see a very rested Jen Young-Ko. I think playing such phenomenal golf takes a lot out of you, and especially when you're trying to do something like win the very last tournament at Mission Hills. So, uh, you know, I definitely think that she's had a few weeks off now. She has a great track record at Wilshire. She's she has placed in the top five all three times that she's competed there. And, and last year, after celebrating Brooke Henderson's victory on the 18th green and playing alongside her, she said, you know, I've basically done.
and everything but winner must be my turn to win. So I think this is a great golf course for Danyanko's game. Although, what's not a great golf course for Danyanko's point. <laughs> yeah, really, she plays well on every platform, not like us, Rich. Beth Ann, it's always great to have you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, let's see who's in the mix in the race to the CMA Globe. Danielle Kang still up on top over Nana Kurtz Madsen. Hyoju Kim's victory puts her in there at number seven. And there's the number one player in the world ranking, Jin Young Ko, at number 10. Now, will the women take Hollywood by storm? We're going to revisit the greatest one man highlight reel in all of golf. Thrills or spills, Jordan Spieth has you covered. Stay with us. Well, the most exclusive club in golf is only five members strong, those who have completed the Modern Career Grand Slam. Rory McIlroy missed his chance to join them at the Masters. Next up, Jordan Spieth. Can he get it done at the PGA Championship? And if you think you've seen every weird rule situation in this game, well, Dylan Fratelli found a whole new definition for tree trouble. And there are two notable names among the entries filed for the 122nd US Open at the Country Club, Mr. Woods and Mr. Mickelson. We'll discuss whether that means anything or nothing. The second hour of Golf Today starts now. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. And hello again and welcome Rich Slurter. Pleased to be alongside uh, Eamon Lynch who's uh, the best columnist in our game. You can read his work at Golf Week and they are must read that's for sure. Uh, Jaime Diaz, Paige McKenzie along in just a little bit. It is time now for Winning Moments presented by Win Grips as we take a look at some of Jordan Spieth's magic moments through the years. And let's go all the way back to 2013. This is John Deere. This is where you knew he had a little something special. Right? He's 19 years old, and he picks up his first win. This is an all-timer. And this is right before he went to Brookfield and won the Open Championship. That was at the Travelers. And that, that sounded like Fenway, bottom of the ninth, in a Game 7 uh, walk-off home run. And this was yesterday, final round of the RBC Heritage at Hilton Head. He needs a charge. Second holes in par five. Dude, that Jordan Spieth. He made another eagle at five, made a big birdie at 18, and then as this bunker shot, the first playoff hole, it's the 18th at Harbor Town. He really ought to just hit it in the bunkers on the 18th hole, Rich, at the way his career is going. And that was enough. A par to beat Patrick Cantley at a fried egg. Cantley did for uh, his third shot. And so this is the big takeaway. Jordan saying that he won this week without a putter. Frankly, he was atrocious on the greens, but he was first strokes gain T2 green. And two of his four best all-time, four best performances, strokes gain T to green, came in his last two wins. That was at the Valero Texas Open, Easter of 2021, and then yesterday, Easter Sunday, down at Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Jordan, when it was all over. Given all the success you had early on and through the years, there was a lot of documentation as you struggled to sort of get it back a year ago and win. How close do you feel to being at the top of the, your game again? Because you sound like somebody who thinks you're pretty close. Um, close, but far? Um, I wouldn't say far. I would say T to green if you take, you know, my last three events 
it's as good as it's ever been. Um, structurally, I still am trying to feel 150% of what I'm doing in a rehearsal that's not, it's feel versus real, it's not actually doing it. Um, I'd like to get to a point where structurally I'm not having to do rehearsal swings every time and it, and it just sets in a nice place and it's not there yet. Um, and then just really getting back to being dialed in with my stroke. Um, so I, I would say very close on the full swing and then um, really got to put some time and effort into, into getting my putter where I know it can be. About a month out from the next men's major PGA Championship, Southern Hills. Look at the outright odds. Two win powered by PointsBet Sportsbook. Rahm is the favorite, 11 to 1. Scheffler and Justin Thomas, 12 to 1. There are 10 guys currently with better odds than Jordan Spieth. That's at the moment. Let's bring in Jaime Diaz once more. Uh, Jordan and Southern Hills, Jaime, how's the fit? You know, I think the way Jordan's playing, it's a great fit. You know, he's got more juice going into this PGA in terms of the Grand Slam than I think Rory had going into the Masters, and probably more than he had in 2017 after winning the Open Championship at Birkdale and went to Quail Hollow. At that time, he said, you know, I'm not really feeling the urgency. I'm going to have a lot more chances. Well, some years have gone by, so I think he's feeling the urgency, and people are encouraged because his ball striking is so good, as he just said, maybe the best it's ever been. In 2015 and 2017, when he did win majors, his ball striking was exited. Uh, it was fourth and second in Tita Green uh, strokes gained. So the idea that, you know, uh, Jordan scrambled his way to these majors is, is, is not the case. He, he ball struck his way to those majors. And as far as Southern Hills, it's a ball striker's course in general. It's, it's very tough with a lot of undulation. Nick Price kind of dominated in 1994 with great ball striking, but some great short game players have won there. Hubert Green, Raymond Floyd, Dave Stockton. I think it suits Jordan very well if he hits the ball well, and I think where he's on a roll right now, uh, I think he's going to go in with an attitude to let's take advantage of this moment. I, I would buy that. I mean, Jordan actually said recently he described it as his best chance to win the Grand Slam until he gets to Frisco in 2027. But he specifically said he likes firmer conditions, he likes windier conditions. That's what he's going to get in Oklahoma. Uh, when looking at those bookies' odds, Rich, I actually think the bookies may have lost their mind at this moment. They're seriously going to put Kepka and DJ ahead of Jordan Spieth right now in the form he's in going to this venue. I, I just don't see it. That's kind of legacy results. That's not what's the form horse heading into Southern Hills. I would agree with you there. Uh, I, I want to bring in Jaime once more. Uh, Jaime, there, there's a, you know, a sense that you know, Jordan's, and you alluded to this, that Jordan's been getting it done you know, with, with some glue here and there, with a, the short game magic, that it's not sustainable. But I'm, I'm curious, do, do you think there's a scenario where Jordan Spieth could once again become the number one player in the game, maybe a, a dominant player at, at some point, this sort of a sense that he has not yet fulfilled all of the potential that he has. I think there is a scenario. He has to hit the ball better. I think if you compare him to the top players of the last five, six years, his, his shortcoming has been, relative to them, ball striking. He's got the short game and the putter. Uh, superior to most of them, but he does not hit the ball or hasn't hit the ball as well as they have. I think he's aware of that. I think he's trying to play catch-up in that regard. If he can get up there with them in that department, he can be the number one player because he is superior to, I think, just about everyone uh, who's, who's a top player right now in terms of 
uh, short game and putting and imagination and getting it done at majors uh, is the great combination of all those things, which I think he would have more uh, tools than anybody if he started to hit the ball like he did at Hilton Head. Well, Jaime, isn't he also one of the guys who, who's underrated for putting himself in the mix at major championships? We talk a lot about Kepka showing up for the biggest weeks that, that define careers. But Jordan Spieth, in addition to the three wins, he's got seven other top three finishes in major championships. So if he's telling people he thinks this might be his best bet to complete the career Grand Slam now in his sixth attempt at doing so, we should probably be listening to him, right? I agree. I think a lot of those finishes that were pretty high were based more on guile and his just ability to play golf. But he didn't have all the tools necessary to pull it off, except in 2015 and 2017. Particularly 2015, I thought he played beautifully at Chambers Bay, certainly, and at the Masters in 2015. Uh, he hasn't been in that position with his all-around game to this point uh, since then. Even Burkdale, he kind of survived with that shaky finish. But I think if he feels like, man, I have what I've actually been chasing now with all the swing rehearsals and everything, which, by the way, are sound in terms of what he's trying to do. He's trying to shallow out through the hitting area and not be steep, and it's paid off. He's driving a lot better. He's hitting irons a lot better. I think he's got a good reason to be confident. And, yes, he gets up for majors, but now with more tools, he's got more ability to win them. Uh, Jaime, I don't necessarily want to turn this into a Jordan Spieth love fest, but, you know, my impression... Uh, you know, covering the game, that I, I think fans respect and admire the likes of Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Brooks Kepka, Colin Morikawa. I think they love Jordan Spieth. Uh, am I wrong? Uh, no. and, and if I'm not, then what is it that they love about the Jordan Spieth? Well, I love, I think golf purists love the way he plays because there is so much imagination and creativity and a sense of the moment. But I think also there's a humanity about him that comes, on, comes across off the course and it's been there ever since he was, you know, a rookie. And I think certainly it has something to do with his family and growing up, uh, helping his sister and understanding and having empathy in that regard. But he showed it yesterday when he explained to those kids who were waiting for him to sign autographs, listen, I'll be with you after this playoff, win or lose. And, you know, and he showed up, of course. And I think those things go a long way. People remember that stuff, especially for a super, superior athlete, a supreme athlete. It's so easy to get selfish and just be in your own bubble and be excused for it. He doesn't. He, he's accountable, and I think that's really lovable in a lot of ways. And, and he endured a year and a half to two years of having to answer the question at every stop, what's wrong? And he did it admirably, I, I thought. You know, he, I think he demonstrated in some ways that vulnerability uh, can be power in a world where I think so many young people, uh, entertainers, athletes want to put their their best self forward on social media. That's kind of what it's all about, living your best life. Jordan has uh, just you know laid it all out. Here I am, imperfect as I may be. Uh, you know, while you're alternately you're, you're entertained by Jordan, you also know when you watch him play golf that it like it is for all of us, that it's a hard game. And you, you get that sense watching Jordan. Well, you mentioned earlier, Rich, that he's 38th in strokes gained off the tee this year. Last year, he was 135th. The year before that, he was 165th. The year before that, he was 176th. No one can detect any difference in how Jordan Spieth has treated those around him, particularly fans, that four years ago, when he was in a slump, for where he is now. That's a testament to character. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you. La last thing, Jaime, there, there's a sense, and I think it, it popped up in our coverage at the Masters, that you know, Jordan's sort of being overcoached, that it's too technical, that, that every time you turn around, even when he's on the putting green, the coach is not, not far away. Um, 
you know, the coach maybe is having a last laugh <laughs> after the win at Hilton. What, what's your what's your sense of all that? I just think uh, any great player's journey through his golf swing, through all his technical improvements is so personal and so hard to second guess and so hard to understand. And they're not going to talk about it a lot because that just brings more questions and more complication. So I trust Cameron uh, and, and Jordan as a team. They've done it since Jordan was 13 years old, 12 years old. And they've had a lot of great success. And I think Cameron, too, Cameron McCormick, has been very admirable in holding his tongue and not fighting back against the critics. I think both those guys really, you, you learn a lot about them when they were down in terms of their public image as golfers and, and instructors. And they, they kept their dignity and they kept, you know, their nose to the grindstone and, and, and just, you know, saw it through. And, and this is the reward. But I think, you know, character is destiny in a lot of ways. And uh, Jordan has that. And I think Cameron McCormick as well. Uh, last thing, because uh, that uh, graphic says chasing career Grand Slam at the PGA Championship. Uh, we, we've been down this road uh, quite a few times now with Rory McIlroy and, and to a lesser extent, uh, Jordan Spieth at the PGA Championship. But, you know, try to you know, impress upon people how this would change the perception of a player if they end up becoming the sixth to have won all four. And... Another way to look at it is I think Spieth, if he's able to do this, would become the first legendary player in the post-Tiger era. It's a great point, Rich, yeah. and I, I agree. I mean, just look at who's won it. You know, Sarazen and Hogan and Nicholas and Player and Tiger. I mean, those are all-timers. And Jordan doesn't quite have that resume, but if he did it, he would. He would immediately be an all-time great beyond what he is now. It's, it's an incredible feat because you can win on all surfaces, so to speak, just like in tennis. And, you know, at a young age, at 28, um, that would be one of the youngest to win the Grand Slam. I, I think uh, right. Jack and Tiger were younger. But uh, I, I think, you know, we haven't talked about Jordan because he's been down these last few years. But in terms of capturing the moment among the guys who are eligible for the, for the uh, Grand Slam right now, Phil and, and, uh, and Rory, I sort of feel like suddenly the, the pendulum swung toward Jordan as the favorite, although Rory did a great, great thing by finishing second at the Masters. You sort of feel Jordan has done it in the past where he's grabbed the moment, and uh, this is going to be a big moment in Southern Hills. Yeah, no question. Uh, Tiger was 24 when he completed the first of, was it, three cycles of the career <laughs> Grand Slam, which is unthinkable. Uh, that was 2000 at uh, the old course at St. Andrews. And Jack was 26 when he completed the first of his three cycles of the career Grand Slam. That was at Muirfield in 1966. Jaime, thank you as always. Love. This is what goes on all day in the, in the newsroom. We just, we just talk golf, talk about stuff just like this. Uh, Jaime Diaz. Thank you. So I've got to wait to see if there's maybe a playoff or not. So I'm going to go inside and, and lay low for a little bit, and then I'll, I'll promise I'll be back here. It just either is going to be um, after a playoff or if there's not, if someone else wins, okay? I'll come back, okay, guys? I mean, this under the heading of PGA Tour players are good guys. Certainly, <laughs> Jordan Speed. he was Good to his word. He told the kids uh, before he even knew there was going to be a playoff. He thought there might be the, hey, I can't sign now. I'm getting ready for something more, but I'll be back. And he. They love him. Back inside that winner's jacket. Making a lot of people happy. You know, and that, that moment's as valuable for, for that young kid as, you know, <laughs> any putt that Jordan made, 
That's one he'll tell his, his friends about. All right, time now for what we call Paige's Punctuation of the Week. Paige McKenzie is back with us. And, and Paige, yeah, that was a fun moment. I love that. Uh, what was, yeah, what was the best quote of the week? I feel like there's a theme. Maybe it's, it's just RBC or maybe it is PGA Tour guys being good guys. My quote of the week actually came from Brian Harmon, who said he used to be one of those kids outside the ropes. In fact, he said that he grew up watching this event. He said, I played when I was 16, but coming over here since I was in high school to watch. In fact, Brad Faxon threw me a ball when I was probably 11. So there's been a lot of impact on past PGA pros impacting future PGA pros. And this might be one case too. This from earlier in the week, Justin Thomas also had a run in with three youngsters and he only had one ball to give out. So he asked each of the players to name a ball or name a number and gave one away. So you never know what one interaction can mean to the next kid. Brian Harmon ended up becoming a PGA Tour professional. Who knows what kind of impact it was at the RBC, just as a fan watching when he was a youngster. Well, Paige, it's got to be tough to pick just one exclamation of the week, given what we've seen <laughs> over the last few days. What was yours? To me, it was without a doubt Tyson Alexander. The explanation point comes because he was the first ever on the Corn Ferry Tour to successfully defend his title. Now, part of this goes back to the fact that he won last year, and it was part of that super season on Corn Ferry Tour where there was 43 events, so the win only moved him from 88th on the list to 31st. He ended up finishing 44th on uh, the points list at the end of the season. So he was given his two-year exemption, went back to Corn Ferry Tour, and was able to successfully defend his title. Uh, you may recognize his name as well. He is the grandson of Skip Alexander and the son of Buddy Alexander, the long Florida uh, golf coach. So just keep an eye on Tyson Alexander, but that is a first ever in the history of the Corn Ferry Tour. And Paige, this will be a first ever for me in my uh, long career as a, uh, as a broadcaster. <laughs> I have said, here's the shot of the week, here's the play of the day. I've never, until right now, I've said ellipsis of the week. What is the ellipsis yeah, of the week, ellipsis, it's, it's the dot, dot, dot. It's the yada, 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 if you ever follow the Seinfeld episode. Don't yada, yada over the best part. Well, the best part of Celine Boutier's career might be what she overcame. This is a former world amateur ranking number one player in the world, a former collegiate best player, player of the year, and then she's now top 20 in the world uh, on the LPGA Tour. There's, there's not much of a story to that. However, if you dive into what has happened uh, after her senior year and into her early part of her professional career, she overcame a lot. And this is her results this season. Five top tens and seven starts. But what she overcame was something that was categorized as panic attacks over the ball. She started working with Cameron McCormick. And in 2016, she went from player of the year in 2014. In 2016, she was dead last at the NCAA championship, and it was these panic attacks that she was dealing with that caused a deterioration of her game. She said, I was supposed to turn pro that summer and couldn't break 
85. She's gone on now to play two Solheim Cups, two LPGA wins, and this incredibly consistent season so far this year. She's fourth on the race to the CME Globe and has not won yet. Uh, this is a player to keep an eye out because she has the pedigree, she has the talent, and she's been through those lows, and now she's back exactly where you would have projected her to be if it weren't for the downturn. But Paige, anytime you see an asterisk in sports, that usually means the subject is worthy of debate or contentious in some manner. What's your asterisks of the week? Uh, this was Dylan Fratelli. He made, I think, the save of the week uh, on that Sunday when he found his ball in a very odd situation. And he was able to, believe it or not, advance the ball and get up and down from this position. Now, this is a great par by any standard, by any measure, except that also incurred a two-stroke penalty, so that par turned into a double bogey, and there is the asterisk. How about that? Uh, well, by the way, what would you think of all that? You know, Fratelli himself didn't seem particularly bothered about the, the actual penalty, when it was explained to him why, and you don't often see that from a lot of tour players who will get upset thinking the penalty is somehow unfair, you know, file that under right. the Charlie Hoffman files out there. But, you know, this is a rule that would seem fairly blindingly obvious to anyone. Right. Had he just sort of stepped to the side and then like a tennis forehand, he would have been fine, correct? True, but, you know, as Paige can attest, she's got a, a two-year-old child who's actually breaking that rule every time <laughs> she breaks him to the putting green because he wants to put it in that manner. <laughs> it was at the forefront of my mind when I watched this happen. I said, my two-year-old, he putts like croquet style, and I'm trying to get him to the side of the ball. Uh, certainly, most pro professionals are aware of that rule, but rarely is the golf club over your head when you're swinging. Well, those are the rules of <laughs> golf. It's about time these guys actually knew that. Thank you, Paige. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Enjoyed it. Well, Tiger and Phil have registered for the U.S. Open. Is that a big deal or not much of a deal at all? Let's tamp down the excitement when we come back. News on Friday. Ricky Fowler filing entry for a U.S. Open Monday qualifier. That's on June 6th. We call it golf's longest day. That's the day after the Memorial 36-hole qualifier. Kinsale Golf and Fitness Club and Wedgwood Golf and Country Club in uh, Columbus, Ohio, you know, one of the mysteries of the last couple of years. He's down to, what, 145 in the world, somewhere in that neighborhood right now. Didn't play the Masters, not in the players, which he won in 2015. Results in his uh, last uh, four major championships. Ricky's still trying to work things out. Meanwhile, Tiger and Phil have as well registered to play in the 122nd U.S. Open uh, June 16 at the Country Club, Brookline, Massachusetts. The registration, so you know, is a formality for both Woods and Mickelson as all players were required to register by Wednesday's deadline if they had any intention of playing the year's third major championship. Uh, let's bring in Jaime Diaz uh, once again uh, as we sort of determine, is this something or nothing? What do you think, Eamon? I think it's pretty much nothing. It's a procedural matter as of now. 5 p.m. on Wednesday, April 13th, was the deadline for anyone who had any interest at all, anyone who had a dream of a U.S. Open, had to be filing their paperwork by 5 p.m. last Wednesday. That includes whether or not you're a hopeful qualifier or if you're John Ram defending the title. And to me, it doesn't necessarily signal that Phil Mickelson's likely to play. Tiger Woods' his name is in there as well. He told Cara Banks, obviously, at the, the Masters that... 
he would play the Open Championship. He's very much on the fence about the US Open. It's purely given them the option at some point down the road to decide whether or not they want to play. That's a decision they don't get to make later uh, in terms of their actual intent to play. They had to signal their intent by last Wednesday, and they've all done so. I mean, you agree or disagree with that? <laughs> of course I disagree with Damon. No, uh, you know, I, I really feel like potentially it is a big deal because, number one, it would give Phil a chance to win the Grand Slam. And how many more chances is he going to have? We keep saying it was his last one, but since he won at Kiowa last year, who knows? Brookline could be a possibility. He's probably not in shape to play in a, in a peak form, but... You know, he may want to take the chance if he's allowed. And I think that's the interesting dynamic because we don't know if the USGA would actually say, go ahead and play. It was very interesting at the Masters that's, that Phil pulled out himself, called Fred Ridley and said he didn't want to play. But let's say he wants to play at the Open. And the USGA says, you know, let's think about this because, again, supposition, speculation, perhaps Phil is... is uh, right now suspended by the PGA Tour. So I asked the USGA, you know, what is their policy on this, if any policy, or what their answer for the possibilities would be. And here's what they said. We pride ourselves in being the most open championship in the world. However, we reserve the right, as we always have, to review suspensions from other golf organizations on a case-by-case -case basis. Mm -hmm. So, again, this is all hypothetical, but if Phil were to say, you know, you're not letting me play, how would he react? I think if he wanted to come back to the PGA Tour, and again, that's a supposition, but if he did want to come back, he would have to accept that decision and say, i got to play ball with the powers that be right now. I do not have the hammer. I may have to serve some kind of, you know, undetermined penance, and this would be part of it. Uh, so, again, I just think it's very intriguing. It may amount to nothing, as Eamon says, but there's a lot of things on the line, potentially, and I think, you know, it certainly says a lot about where Phil stands if he's not allowed to play. Uh, Eamon, do you think if he does hypothetically show up that he would be cheered wildly by the fans? And, and then subsequent to that question, do you think fans fully understand what his sort of mortal sin was in all of this? I think he'd be cheered by the fans. I think it would be crickets in the locker room. Um, it's very noticeable over the last couple of months as this issue is Phil, with Phil has played out that not a single player on the PGA Tour has circled the wagons around Phil because they kind of understand what Phil has been attempting to do here. And, you know, there's a lot of geopolitics involved in this that a lot of people don't care to pay attention to, which is fair enough. Phil is kind of on the outs right now because he essentially allied himself with a regime that was trying to use golf for the purposes of sports washing. And he not only... It wasn't as though he was just saying, I'm going across the street because I prefer to eat in this hotel, it's, I'm going to torch the hotel all you guys are living in while I'm on the way out the door. That's how it's been perceived in the locker room with this idea that Phil was attempting to kind of undermine the, the PGA Tour as he was allying himself with a possible rival tour. That rival tour is still out there. What Phil's role is remains to be seen. He did use the words working with in referring to the Saudis in his apology a, a couple of months ago. What he's doing with him isn't quite clear, but Gary Williams did a podcast with Greg Norman a few weeks ago, and while Phil has gone to ground, and a lot of players said they've texted him but not heard from him, Greg Norman said that he had spoken to Phil a couple of days earlier. So if Phil's not talking to anyone else, he is still talking to the Saudis. And I guess you could go through you know, a legal battle, Jaime, but uh, my sense is that uh, until and unless he disentangles himself from the, the Saudi Gulf business, and there's no evidence that he has... Uh, then I, I don't know that there's a way back in to American professional golf. 
I agree with you, Rich. And, you know, it's sort of disputable what Phil was actually saying when he was quoted by Alan Shibnuck when he said, you know, I don't necessarily want the Saudi league to succeed. I, I've been using it for leverage to, get, to, to improve situation on the PGA Tour. That angered the Saudis. So Phil's in this horrible limbo where he's alienated both forces that he's dealing with. And, you know, the PGA Tour actually might have some sympathy for him that he was uh, saying, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to improve things for the PGA Tour. But because he worked, as Eamon was saying, to recruit other players and to help, you know, draw up the, 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 the new sort of business plan for the Saudi League, uh, he's in a rock and a hard space right now. Uh, I think he would have to disentangle himself. We don't know what that would entail. Uh, just so many things going on with Phil right now that uh, we're just going to have to wait and see because it, there really are a lot of tectonic, tectonic uh, plates moving very, very uh, slowly yeah. and, and sort of behind the scenes. Yeah, and, and we all sort of suspect there's another Shaquille O'Neal-sized shoe that, that's going to drop at some point. Uh, I, I still have trouble wrapping my head around the distinct possibility that Phil Mickelson will not be at Southern Hills to defend his PGA championship is one of the most bizarre and I think saddest tales in the history of golf because you'd be hard-pressed to find uh, a player more popular than Mickelson was as he stood there with his hands on his hips like some sort of a Superman uh, at the age of almost 51 on that 72nd hole at Kiowa. Um, hard-pressed to find anybody more popular than he was right at that moment and here we are uh, and he's in a real pickle to say the least. Jaime, thank you.